listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro. And on tonight's show, Nick Raponi, writer, contributor, and minor league guru with Jay's Journal. Alexis Brudnicki, writer, anthem, and statistician with your Toronto Blue Jays. And Kareem Kanji, celebrated blogger and podcaster with girthradio.com. Love his work. I'm thrilled to have you along with me on an evening where we look back at what the Blue Jays are doing in September and scratching our heads saying, what the heck does all this mean for 2018? And that seems to be the question that's on everyone's lips moving forward. What will the front office do to keep things moving forward at a time when most fans are losing hope left, right, and center? And I've seen some comments on the Twitterverse and on social media that just makes me wonder whether or not everyone's abandoned all hope for the next foreseeable decade. That's what the doom and gloom is all about here in Toronto. I think it's important to keep things in perspective. And that's why we have with us on this roundtable three individuals that can look at the bigger picture and give us all clarity and understanding exactly what the future holds for the Toronto Blue Jays. And if you have reasons to believe that things will get better or, God forbid, should they get worse. So as mentioned earlier, I'm thrilled to have another great roundtable, and this week that's what this show is chock full of, fantastic insight from people who are very passionate about this Toronto Blue Jays team. And with me on today's episode are Nick Raponi, writer and contributor and minor league guru, I might add, with the Jays Journal, Alexis Brutnicki, writer, anthem singer and statistician for the Toronto Blue Jays, and Kareem Kanji, celebrated blogger and podcaster with girthradio.com. I want to start with you, Nick. In a season where we've seen long winning streaks and long losing streaks from some of the best and worst teams across Major League Baseball, and of course I'm specifically referring to the Cleveland Indians and the Los Angeles Dodgers, respectively, what does it say that the Toronto Blue Jays were unable to put together the kind of consistency this year that allowed them to even reach 500, which they failed nine times? What are your thoughts on that, Nick? I think ultimately it comes down to a few things, but mainly their inability to hit with runners in scoring position. I think uh, this year, I mean, it was really, really embarrassing. It was, <laughs> it was abysmal, to be quite honest, watching the team try and hit with runners in scoring position. And I think it starts there. You can get hits, you can get walks, you can have guys with high on base, high averages. But, I mean, ultimately, if you can't drive them in when you need to, the wins and losses, your record's going to not going to be too good and I think that's what happened with the Jays this year yeah in my opinion just came down to runners in scoring position I think it I I think there's three names I think Donaldson Bautista and Sanchez Uh, I think uh, Josh was uh, he's had a phenomenal year if if you uh, discount the time off in terms of injuries Uh, Bautista has shown his age um, and the Sanchez, I don't know how many games he appeared in, let alone started. I think uh, those three had years that they wish they had back. Uh, and I think if you had those three people put up uh, their career average years, I think this team is in a much better position. I think, yeah, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about injuries. There's just it, it affects everyone, obviously. Every team has injuries. But this year for the Jays was kind of just a pivotal year to see if they could do – repeat any kind of success that they had with the team that they had, which everyone knew it wasn't the same as the team that they had over the last year and a half, but injuries really kind of took away any opportunity to be able to do anything like that. A lot different than two years ago when uh, they were lucky to have uh, 
very few, at least, of their starting pitchers go down with injury. Uh, Troy Tulowitzki, Troy Tulowitzki. You know, he's he's uh, guaranteed for half the season, I think. I mean, I think you hope that's not the case, obviously. It's tough to have your infield go from even an aging Troy Tulowitzki and Devin Travis to Brian Goins and Rob Snyder or Darwin oh Barney. or you, you have, it like, that's not ideal yeah. for what you want I think um, mm-hmm. there are I mean I've listened to a few Jays talks and people seem to be really into Ryan Goins and what he brings to the table um, but I just am not sure that he's want what you want at the major league level every single day playing for a team that you hope content absolutely yeah, I, I could not agree more with uh, that statement on Ryan Goins he's he's serviceable to fill in but I mean at the end of the day, if Ryan Goins is your starter at either shortstop or second base, you can't expect the team to win more than really 75 games, in my opinion. And I think people forgot about Devin Travis altogether. I know he's been injured every single moment he's been in the big leagues, it seems <laughs> like. But he is such a good player, and if, if he can stay healthy, that's the goal for everyone. Obviously, it's the goal for the entire team. But losing him and obviously losing Aaron Sanchez for most of the year. I think those are two big – obviously Aaron Sanchez's injury wasn't overlooked, but I think Devin Travis has overlooked a lot and what he could have brought to the team and what he's done in obviously a really, really small sample size, but what you hope he can accomplish in the future and why he's with this team. And I'm wondering, though, Alexis, didn't it really expose the lack of preparation that came with this franchise in understanding how these injuries affected the team. I mean, didn't it just smack of desperation to see after a May in which the team rebounded by using their depth, like Ezequiel Carrera and Ryan Gones and Joe Biagini to try to get back to their winning ways, that by the time July ran around, we found ourselves confronted with Miguel Montero and Rafi Lopez and the aforementioned Rob Refsnyder. What did you think about how the team was was exhibiting such a high level of desperation for a professional Major League Baseball team to have to reach out and find reclamation parts that wouldn't make a, a regular Major League roster? I don't think it was so much a lack of preparation as that there just isn't as much depth currently in the organization as you would like to see or as you do mm-hmm. see in some other organizations. The depth just obviously they have had some trouble coming into this organization, I think, you know, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro kind of knew that this wasn't the farm system that they wanted it to be and that they needed to create. And they tried to bring in guys, obviously, like Reese McGuire, Harold Ramirez. And those were just pieces that they could put together, but it's so hard to get those pieces when you don't really – know if you can give up anything at the big league level at the beginning of the year and then you don't know what you want to give up I think later on or what you can afford to give up or what you're going to get back for what you're giving and I think that I'm guessing that was probably a problem not getting back as much as you would like for some of these pieces that underperformed this year at the big league level and not being able to fill out that farm system with the depth that you'd like I think each position has depth but it wasn't at the AAA level. It wasn't necessarily at the AA level. It wasn't in spots where you can bring these guys straight to the big leagues and have them perform the way that you want them to. Um, obviously, you know, Rafi Lopez, Miguel Montero, 
Um, even Luke Maley. Obviously, Jared Sokolmackia didn't work out. Mike mm-hmm. Ullman made his debut this year. You just like it's, and it's not that the Jays don't have, you know, some catchers. But and Danny Jansen would be a guy that I would fight for every day of the week. But he started this year in high A. He spent half yeah. the season in the Florida State League after finishing in the Florida State League last year. He was in the Arizona Fall League last year, and he was good. He made it to Double A this year, and then he was good, and then he made it to Triple A, and he was good. And I thought he might be a September call-up candidate. But he also has so few games at the double-A, triple-A level that it's hard to want to push a guy. Or And if this is his first full season because he's been injured every single year. He's had weird injuries every single year since he's been in pro ball, uh, even the year he was drafted. And I obviously you don't want to push that for a September call-up. But it's, that's what I mean. It's not like they don't have guys at those positions who will be contributors to this big league team at some point. And obviously everyone's going to point to Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero, but they're just yeah. not close enough yet that you could have brought them up in July. And the, there is depth in the farm system, but it's kind of way far in the distance. It's not the where you want it to be. Yeah, I think if the Jays were desperate, we would have seen Guerrero and Bichette, you know, a, a little bit higher. I'm actually glad that they didn't get desperate. I'm glad they didn't look at the season earlier on and say, you know what, we still have a chance. Let's fast track some people, let's get rid of some aging veterans and, and, and try to get somebody young that can play now. I'm glad that they weren't desperate. I'm glad that they, you know, let their young superstars to be, fingers crossed, knock on wood and all that sort of stuff, you know, make their proper progress through the minor leagues and brought up the, you know, the serviceable minor leaguers. You know, the only thing I think we might be excited about, who knows, is Hernandez. But, um, you know, other than that, I, I'm not really sure what uh, what is, you know, in their minor league system outside of Bichette and Guerrero that we can get, you know, really, really excited about. I don't think there's really any chance that with this, um, the brass that is currently here with Mark Shapiro, with Ross Atkins, with Gil Kim, uh, the farm director, I really don't think that I wouldn't call it desperation but I really don't think they're ever going to rush anybody that's not really the philosophy that's not the philosophy that they had in Cleveland Um, and obviously you see what Cleveland is doing and I think that people who thought that this year was going to be a repeat of the last year and a half kind of kind of were out of their depth from the beginning because this it seeing what happened in the offseason, seeing what was left in the farm system, and seeing what was available to this team, even before anyone knew about the injuries, it was hard to, it would have been hard to project any sort of similarity what, to what happened last year. And I think that those guys had, had a realistic picture of what was happening. And then, you know, when the team loses a bunch of games right out of the gate, it obviously puts you in a little bit of a different mindset, but there's no... There's never, ever, in my opinion, a reason to rush anyone through the minor leagues. Um, obviously, there are some cases where guys just push for themselves to be moved up and up and up. And I think Danny Jansen, again, is a good example of that. Dalton Pompey was a good example of that, though. And yeah. then, obviously, injuries got him this year. And just it wasn't that he wasn't ready. It was that he got hurt over and over and over again. But I just I don't think that this is an organization with these people in charge of it that you will see rushing guys anywhere. And and I suppose then, Nick, it's no small irony that when pitching depth began to suffer, that gap that Alexis described and that urge to rush prospects truly reared its ugly head 
because this organization used most, if not all, of their pitching prospects, including every left-handed organizational starter and reliever, to do the 2050 Renaissance and at almost City the World Series. But now it finds itself one to two years away from key position players with no concrete pitching really on the horizon, short of the glimpses of, let's say, maybe getting to see uh, Carlos Ramirez and getting to maybe see at some point Sean Reed Foley. What are your thoughts about this team's ability to compete in 2018 on the strength of serviceable, available talent? You know, their Buffalo depth, they, when it came to last year, Billion Team, they tried to pick up Latos. They picked up guys like Oberholzer. They they attempted to really build like a six, seven, eight starter, but unfortunately, there wasn't much consistency out of Oberholzer in AAA. He had starts where he'd go seven shutout innings, and then he'd go starts where he just didn't have a great performance. So there wasn't really enough to warrant a call up. And then with uh, Latos, we saw what happened there. It didn't really yeah, work out. So they kind of right at a sp- and then they had that losing streak to start. So it wasn't really a great starting point last year. And I think they're going to see that. I think they're going to – not that they're going to approach it that much differently. I think they're going to definitely see the importance of depth. But, in Cle- like, you look at Cleveland's past and history, like, like Alexa said, they don't rush prospects. They just have organizational depth ready for the most part. Guys that are, you know, like career minor leaguers, like what we have in Lucas Harrell or Lucas Harrell, we have guys like that, maybe not to his extent, a little bit more talented and a little bit more MLB – ready I guess than he is not that he'll ever be MLB ready I mean he's at where he's at um but uh I think yeah what they're going to do for 2018 is essentially just really look at guys that are fringe triple a MLB guys but more towards the MLB bench because you can't have guys like they see what's going on with things like having Ryan Dolan start having Rob Ref Snyder start things like that it's just if you want to compete it's not going to work granted I don't think they're going to have – I hope they're not going to have as many injuries next year as they did this year because it was kind of – they're not going to have no injuries next year, but I feel like the amount of injuries they had to star players like Sanchez, like Tulo, like Martin, that was kind of an anomaly. I think you're not going to have all those big stars go down again. So I think while they're going to build more organizational depth, I think it really is going to rely on them hopefully staying healthier. And I think if you see them staying healthier, then we're going to see at least 10 more wins just from them being healthy. I think the great fear related to Russell Martin is obviously, can he stay healthy? Can he stay in the lineup? Yeah. And can he still have a, a strong enough bat to warrant getting the kind of playing time that fans would like to see him have? I don't think he has 30 RBIs this year. It's been it's been a really tough year at the plate for him, with the notable exception that when he has been in the lineup, he's scuffled, he's battled. I think he's faced a lot more pitches this year than he did last year when he was striking out left, right, and center. I think we can all agree, Alexis, that a healthy Russell Martin is key to this core But if we look at this core as essentially being four key players that are controllable until 2021, of course, I'm referring to Roberto Asuna, uh, Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, and Devin Travis. What does it say when 50% of them have a question mark as to whether or not they'll even be healthy for 2018? I mean, I kind of think generally there's a question mark for everyone to be healthy every year. Like, there's no assumptions made. And so for me, that's kind of a rough way to look at it just because they were hurt this year. 
doesn't mean that I think it gives them less of a chance of being hurt next year because they're going to want to do everything that they can, everything mm-hmm. to prepare, everything to know what went into how they were injured, how they could get better, how they could stay better. I feel like guys who are injured kind of have a better chance of being healthy following that just because there's so much that goes into it. No one wants to sit on the bench and watch their team. No one wants to watch a team fall apart. No one wants to not be able to help when that's happening. And I, I really think everyone's a question mark going into every single season. So I'm not sure that's, that's fair. But obviously, Devin Travis, I think if the high-performance team is what it is, and it is a high-performance team, and it does help this, this generation of players, I guess, then, then the hope is that they just get better from here on out and that the recovery is stronger than what led them to the problem in the first place. Is there a fear, Kareem, that we could find ourselves in an almost deja vu-like scenario next year in May where the team once again might struggle with some injuries and this time around? Is your expectation that this front office will go out during the offseason and maybe invest in this team to plug up some of these key depth issues that have been hounding them pretty much since the beginning of June? I think my guess is we're going to see them try to raise the floor rather than try to raise the ceiling. Um, so that means I think they're going to go more after depth. I, I think that, you know, we we might see Hernandez be your starting right fielder, um, you know, replacing Bautista as your full-time right fielder. I, I don't think we're going to see any massive – or I don't think we should expect to see any massive moves to bring in any star players. Obviously, you know, there's free agents uh, that all it takes is cash. Uh, but, you know, whether or not it fits into the Jays' budget with Tulo and Martin still on the books um, and what they're, what they're going to be, be, have to pony up for Donaldson still, um, you know, I, I think we can expect this team not to be, you know, things change. It's a 162-game season, but I don't, I don't think we can expect the Jays to be, uh, you know, in contention like they were the past two years um, in 2018. Well, I also want to say, like, earlier I think you alluded to uh, kind of a a lack of pitching depth and looking at Buffalo 100% sure there there were guys who were kind of placeholders, kind of 4A guys. Um, And to be honest, New Hampshire had an awful season. They just had a terrible season. Nobody was playing well. It wasn't good for anyone except for Anthony Alford and Danny Jansen, and even they were not there for more than half of the games uh, that they played that season. But I do think that there is depth there just because Connor Green didn't maybe pitch to his potential or get a chance at AAA doesn't mean that he still can't be a great pitcher. And Sean Reed Foley didn't have a good year either, but it doesn't mean that he hasn't learned from what he did there. And John Harris gave up more home runs than anyone, I think, and he's never had that in yeah. his career. So I think, you know, for him, maybe learning to lean more to the two seam than the four seam, that kind of stuff. Like, I don't think there is depth there. Uh, you have TJ Zoic, who was in Dunedin. Even Jordan Romano had a really decent season, really well, really did really well at the start and then kind of uh, dropped off a little bit at the end. But I think that you have, you do have pitching depth. I think it's just a matter of those guys kind of learning and coming out and any of those guys, any of those names could certainly come to into spring training, have a great spring, and be in a completely different spot to start next year. I'm thinking after that last response, Kareem, that maybe you've started a whole new viral sensation with hashtag all it takes is cash. Because all it takes we is are cash. we are talking about Rogers, of course, and it's easy we are. to be to be very <laughs> cynical. 
about what might happen in the off season. But um, that is let me true. Ask, let me ask you all this, and I'm going to start with Nick. We've watched over the past month and a half a Josh Donaldson who clearly understands that what he's doing is not going unnoticed. He's got a better OPS in the second half of 2017 than he had during the same time in 2015, during his MVP year. Do you re-sign Josh Donaldson, give him what he needs to stay part of this core up until 2021, or do you consider the alternative of maybe trading him during the offseason and really rebuilding this whole process properly? You know, that's I guess that's the ultimate question. For me, I think you, you kind of weigh both options. You Not necessarily trade Josh Donaldson per se, but maybe you shop the name around, see what you can get per se. If you can load up your farm system, hey, maybe it might be worth it if you don't think you have the team. But at the same time, you have guys like Tula on the books. You have guys like Martin on the books. Yeah. So you have big contracts on the books right now you might as well, like, now's the time to go for it. It really is. So I think signing Donaldson would not be a bad idea because he is the heart and soul of the team. There was a Toronto Life article on him that was absolutely fantastic, just displaying how truly competitive he is. And he's a guy you want in the clubhouse. He's a guy that you want on the team. We have Vladdy coming up who plays the same position. To me, he's not going to be ready till 2019, 2020. You could see him in September of 2018, but probably not because this regime – does not really rush players, but you never know. Depends how their seasons go. But yeah, I think ultimately you shop the name around, see what you can get. But I think their best situation would be to hold on to them and keep them around until 2021. Yeah, I I keep them. Um, I I think there uh, there's a fear that if you uh, trade him, uh, what are you telling your fan base? Uh, you're obviously not going to get uh, an MVP caliber back. In, in, in a straight trade, you know, we, we've seen other things happen that could be proven wrong, but, um, you know, I, I keep him uh, until 2020, 2021 and, uh, and, and see, you know, how he ages and, and, and how his performance continues to keep up. You know, that, that third base uh, in, the, in the Sky Dome it has been known to, to swallow, um, you know, superstars up and, and spit them out less than they were. So, Alexis, when you look back at this year, what do you think will be, for better or for worse, the one memory that really dominates your whole recollection of what this 2017 season was all about? And let's go around the table. I'll start with Alexis. Tell me what you think when you look back at this year. What's that one moment or instance that made you maybe remember this a little more than you'd like? <laughs> well, it's funny. There is there's one game that comes to mind, and I know some of the guys that I work with <laughs> would know that I would definitely – this would be the at the top of my, and it just kind of for me sums up the whole season. There was a game on a Friday night, and uh, it was it was the longest home game that um, we've had at Rogers Center this year, and it was a tie game. Like you would think, it was this was a great game, went into extra innings, but there was 21 walks or something like in the game. It was just like it was so painful. It was and it, it was two days before the game where the Blue Jays lost 19-1, to and honestly, this Friday game felt worse than the 19-1 to loss, and it, they took it into extras, and um, just like, the, <laughs> it was just walk after walk after walk, and I think it was 21 or 22 walks in the game, and for me, that is just like, 
how the season kind of yeah. went. Like it could have, it could have gone either way. It could have gone, could have gone well, could have gone poorly. It could have been a win. It could have been a loss. But there were just so many like painful stops along the way and things that just kind of like made everything drag out a little further than it needed to and made everything a little more painful than it needed to be. Um, and I think that game, just for me, kind of epitomizes the whole season. What about you, Jen? Someone go ahead with their uh, with their memory. I'll go. Yeah, so I, I think very interesting. Last year, 2016, was the end of the career end of um, David Ortiz for the uh, the Boston Red Sox. Um, and I think uh, this is definitely Bautista's last year mm-hmm. uh, as a Toronto Blue Jay. Uh, don't know whether it'll be his last year as a, as a major league uh, baseball player um, or as a professional baseball player, but you know you hold those two guys up, um, and you know Ortiz was the heart and soul of the Boston Red Sox, won three World Series with him. Um, I think it can be argued that over the past decade, uh, Bautista, at least for me, has has been. You know the measuring stick for the Blue Jays. You know they 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 live and die with him. You know obviously Josh Donaldson coming in uh, has sort of taken up that mantle and is, is you know it's his team. But you know for me 2017 will be about the year that Bautista didn't have. Um, you know yeah. he seemed to have started off well in the uh, in 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 that tournament that they had at the beginning of the year, um, but he just 2017 was not kind at all to Bautista, and as uh, a huge fan of Bautista, it is a season that, um, you know, obviously for him hasn't been good, but it, it, it's it's a sad ending for just one of the top Blue Jays players of all time. Sure. I don't want to take away from the next guy, but I don't think this is the end of Jose Bautista. I just want to say that. I don't think oh, this is last year playing. Tell, tell me why you think that. But... Uh, well, it's not my turn. I feel like <laughs> we're moving on. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think this is the end. I don't think this is – there's nothing nothing to me that says that this is, A, a player who is ready to pack it in, and, B, a player who won't do everything they can to continue moving forward, and, C, a player that no one would want. I know that people think that everybody hates Jose Batista outside of Toronto – but I don't think that's true of every front office, everyone who's hmm. making decisions. Maybe fan bases go that way, and maybe they don't like what they see from him, but that's, that's fan bases do not make these front office decisions, and I do not think that this is the end for Jose Batista. Nick, I, I hope I, you're I, I want to know what you think, Nick, because I know you're not a big fan of players who have 200, 300, and 400 splits like the kind that Batista had in this horrible campaign. What do you think about that? Uh, I agree with Alexis in the sense that, yeah, he's not done because nobody's going to – sure, nobody's going to pay him big money by any means. But Agreed. if I'm a GM, if I'm a GM and I think, hey, worst case, a bat off the bench and a playoff run if we're a contender in the NL, a pinch hitter, hey, I'm signing Jose Bautista. I'm going after him. I don't, do not think he is done by any means. Hey, I can even see Toronto bringing him back as a starter. We don't know how the offseason is going to go. We want to Oscar Hernandez starting for sure. He's going to be hopefully penciled in in left field, but we don't know what happens there. But Or right field. I would not be surprised to see Bautista back. As much as, yeah, I think he might be done in terms of, I don't think he's going to hit above 230, 240, but I think that OBP will always be there. He has 
an eye at the plate that is like not like anybody else really I've ever seen. He knows right into the hand, ball or strike. He reads pitches. He has an he has a plan when he goes up to bat. And it doesn't matter how old you are, I think sure, physically he's gonna he's starting to demise, but mentally he's still there. He still has a plan when he goes up to bat. And I think, hey, next year you never know. He could have a big year. Who knows? Not a huge year, but hey. <laughs> not to mention I think for me too, there's every year we hear about these guys who played for like the whole year with a broken hand or something and yeah. and then they have surgery in the off season and they come out fresh. Like I some of these guys who I think just like have gone from hero to zero this year, I'm just waiting for the off season to hear, you know, what surgery they're having right away or what they battled through the whole season that we never kinda knew about. And not that I think that's what's happened to him, but he's he's a candidate to like for one of the, like who knows what he's going through. Same with Russ. Um, I mean, it's just kind of, I feel like these guys are always battling something, but, but yeah, a hundred percent. The biggest thing is like, I think there's a spot for, for Batista, whether he was going through something this year that we didn't know about or not. Um, because like you said, there, there are different roles in different places and it doesn't have to be the same, but yeah, I definitely don't think this is the end for him. I think he's too proud to take on a part-time role with any team. That's just my, that's just the way I read him. Yeah, possibly. Yep. That's always a chance. Yeah, you never know. But there is a, definitely a chance of that. But I'm thinking when it comes to, let's say, February and he doesn't have a contract, if that's the case, I think maybe the ego's already been shattered. I think maybe he'll potentially take a chance on a team that's coming off the bench. Well, I think as you've all mentioned, and there's a great deal of optimism here, certainly more than I'm used to on a given podcast roundtable. <laughs> But I have to tell you, it's it's energizing me because it's making me appreciate that it's easy for fans to dismiss athletes when they struggle or when they are having the kinds of years that the Jose Bautistas and Kendris Moraleses of the world are having. But there's a lot to be said about their pride and their desire to be competitive and what this Blue Jays front office will do to effectively measure which of those players could potentially come back and be a valuable asset. And I'm sure most fans will agree that they wouldn't be bothered by having Jose Bautista return, but maybe they're more curious now to see whether someone else should get a chance like a Teoscar Hernandez or my personal favorite, Anthony Alford. So the sky will certainly be the limit for those players to prove that they belong in 2018 spring. Let's go around the round table, starting with Alexis and then Kareem and Nick. Tell my listening audience what you've been up to and how they can find you on social media. Uh, yeah, I, well, um, this is, I've been working for the, for the Toronto Blue Jays as a statistician on game days, uh, for eight seasons, but this is, this is my last season doing that. Um, oh. I will continue to write for, um, I write for Baseball America, the Canadian Baseball Network. Um, I write about amateur players in the Canadian Premier Baseball League as well. Um, some of Ontario's best players. And I will continue to do that, um, and that can be found on their respective websites. And my Twitter handle is at BaseballLexis, um, and I will keep doing that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely – I might even offer more opinions on the Blue Jays in the future now that I don't work for them anymore um, <laughs> well, when this season comes to an end. So I might be, I might be more giving with my, with my criticism and my opinions. So those will be able to be found there for sure. But, uh, yeah, I, I love covering the amateur game too and Team Canada stuff, so I will always do that. And especially now that there's a Team Canada guy who's going to be the Bachelor Canada. So – 
I'm excited about that. The first time I'll watch the show, and probably the only time ever. I assume it's not going to go very well, but uh, um, that's where I will be. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so you can, uh, you know, I work full-time, not in the fun stuff that you guys are doing, uh, but um, my passion is really uh, podcasting and talking with uh, interesting people doing interesting things. So you can find my stuff on uh, girthradio.com. Uh, Twitter is at Kareem Kanji. And the first show of uh, October is uh, going to feature our host today, Ari Shapiro. So, sorry, Shapiro. <laughs> so I think that uh, that's going to be a great chat. And uh, thank you, Ari, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And if you keep manipulating my name that way, I don't know if I'll show up on time. Let's go to Nick. Nick, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter, at Nick Raponi. I'm a writer at Jay's Journal with a focus on minor league stuff. So if you want to find out stuff about prospects, mostly in the Jay's organization, that's where most of my work lies. I'm planning on writing a lot more. I took a little bit of a break there to deal with a few things, but now I'm back in action, and I hope to you're writing more about minor league baseball for the Jays and in baseball together. Yeah, when it comes to draft, like when it comes to the draft, I'll be doing closer to the time talking about collegiate athletes and high school talent that will be entering the draft this year, and I'll be trying to do more in-depth focus profiles on individual talents. Our fans can appreciate exactly where this Blue Jays team is headed. And with uh, Nick Raponi from the Jays Journal, Alexis Brudnicki from the Toronto Blue Jays, and Kareem Kanji from girthradio.com, we hope you've enjoyed this afternoon's show. I'm Ari Shapiro. You've been listening to the Jays Journal podcast. Thank you for joining me all. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ari.